I think if we were to to share what like the pain of a tree when you cut it down, we wouldn't cut them like we do today. If we were sensitive enough to the suffering of animals as brothers and sisters, we wouldn't park them and slaughter them like we do today. If we could hear and feel how a soil hurts when it's damaged, we wouldn't till and do the kind of agriculture we do today. And I don't think that we can be mentally sane as long as we stay disconnected from nature like that. We were never meant to be disconnected. Welcome to Beyond the Matrix with your host, Adric Suber. Have you ever wondered if this is all there is in life? What lies beyond what we were made to believe? In this podcast, we're going to uncover real human stories of those who have taken courage to go off the beaten path and live in full authenticity. We're going to challenge what you believe is possible, fuel your spirit with courage and heart with warmth to fully live your truth. So buckle up and get ready for the ride beyond, beyond the matrix. Welcome back to Beyond the Matrix. Our guest for today is an expert in soil health and regeneration. He is the founder of Pi Seedling Foundation, a playground for environmental education, permaculture, and the research of nature-inspired lifestyles. He is also the author of Manifest of Inner Ecology, in which he presents a reconnection to nature as a root solution to our socioeconomic ecological problems, as well as our psycho-spiritual well-being. I met him in Pi just about a month ago through a permaculture workshop and was instantly drawn to his intelligence and burning passion for our environment and systems change. So please help me to welcome our guest for today, Damien Masalis. Good to see you, Adric. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's a pleasure to be here and uh, to take this hour to share about my all my passions about nature and social you know, transformation change. Thank you. Welcome to the show, Damien. Happy to Thank have you. you here. So maybe to kick us off, I would love for you to just give the listeners a glimpse of the magic you've created at the Pi Seedling Foundations in your beautiful land over there. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I think the journey started 15 years ago. I was uh, finishing my studies in business school and I was left with something that was really missing in terms of purpose and meaning. Uh, I mean, I was going for a career in corporate finance. Money was good. Opportunities were good. But there was this sense of being useful for the planet, for society. Just didn't match. I was getting sick also. Physically, my body was sending me a message. So I was lucky to pull the plug early enough when traveling for a year in Asia. Didn't really have a goal. I was just wanting to give life and myself some time to think about what I wanted to do. And uh, so that started a personal journey, uh, personal journey of discovering, of exploring the mysteries of life, uh, spirituality. I had some very intense moments of connection with nature. And that told me that there was much more to what I thought my life would be about. So mm-hmm. I kept following this path of connecting to nature through uh, shamanism and animism for a while. Then I discovered permaculture and how to practically engage with nature and how much that could fulfill and respond to the basic needs of life. Uh, So discovering that I could build a house with my hands, that I could grow my food, that I could grow food as medicine, all of that just started to create a narrative that made so much sense and that felt physically, psychologically, emotionally so right that this this was the basis, the foundation upon which Seedlings was created. And practically speaking, the we jumped, I think, from that being just a learning process to let, let, let's do something when I met my who Liz, who would become my wife. And when she got pregnant, we it dawned on us that that transformation we had made in our personal life that was just step one and we couldn't stop there. We had to, we felt a strong responsibility to create something that would be more than us, that would outlive us like our kids. You know, when you realize that you're becoming a parent, mm-hmm. um, it's like deep time starts now. Like I'm going to, something's going to outlive me. So what I have to contribute to 
society and to the planet has to outlive me. So um, we've been living kind of our dream, you know, outside of the matrix for a couple of years on our own. And when our children came into our life, uh, we had yeah, to do something. So we looked at the different options. We knew it was going to be Thailand. And so creating the foundation was a way to get the proper legal structure to legally do what we wanted to do, to also eventually attract investors, to attract people, to do workshop, to hire workers, and to take that experiment a step further, um, you know, work with more people. So that's how it started eight years ago, eight years ago uh, when we became um, partners. And... And yeah, the funny story is we only realized that after, but I was deeply impacted by a book by Isaac, Isaac Asimov as a teenage. And that book is called The Foundation. And The Foundation is a book about a galactic empire that's collapsing and how in order to, for civilization to survive, somebody goes to the other side of the galaxy to create a foundation to save the seeds of knowledge that the new empire will have would need in order to raise from its ashes. So that's the little joke about the foundation. And I think that's really gives an idea of what we're trying to do. What knowledge, what skills do we need so that we can create a system and a way of living today that will make the mainstream system obsolete. And mm. so that's, that's the mission. Uh, that's our life mission pretty much. I love it. I love the uh, the story behind the name of Thai Ceiling Foundations too, drawn by this uh, fictional story. Um, I, there's a lot that I want to comment in there in your life journey, but I think I would love, first of all, just for the l- listeners to get a glimpse of like what exactly you've built over there at Thai Ceiling Foundations. Talk about like, you know, the land that you have there, wow. all the permaculture stuff you build and all the subscription business as well. So there's a lot going on in there. I just kind of want listeners have like a little idea of what you have built so far which is pretty like incredible okay so to get an idea of where we started it's quite easy to think of a field about half an acre uh, half a hectare so say five six thousand square meters of rice paddies there was nothing on the land when we bought so it was not desert but close to it compacted soil very damaged from monoculture from using chemicals, that there was not a grass growing because of all the herbicides that had been used. And that was seven years ago. Now, for two years, we didn't do much. We just observed because we needed to see what story nature was telling us from that land. And then we started to do things, plant trees, dig drains. Five years down the road now, we are employing 20 people. We are feeding more than 20 people on a weekly basis from the gardens we we've started uh we're planting trees we've restored a we've started to restore proper ecology in terms of water management planting trees and edibles we've built a house uh, made only from local material so using straw and clay for the walls using bamboo for the roof and the project operates we've been operating at the family at the level of family at first because our first Mission, I think, was can we do this? Can we, you know, let go of our life back in the West and start something that sustains our family as we are becoming parents with all the social pressure, the family pressure of, hey, guys, finish the holidays in Thailand. Now come back to reality, get yourself a job and a, and a mortgage. And that was what our parents and our friends were telling us. So because we're stubborn, we said, no, no, we're going we're to keep going the road that, that our heart tells us to go. So at first, as a family, we did this, and obviously we did a lot. I mean, you can testify looking at the land how much life yeah. and fertility there is. And it also became a bit too big at some point, uh, especially when COVID happened and we lost our jobs. We had commuting back to France. We had to reorganize. It became to a point about a year and a half ago where it was either we would attract more people to become more of an ecosystem around the family or it would become too much for us. So that's when, yeah, I think two years ago, we did a ritual and we sent out the intention that we needed to attract investors, we needed to attract partners, volunteers, and luckily the universe had us, and that's been manifested in the last year or so. 
So now from in the last four months, we went from being two people and one gardener to being a team of more than 20 people involved at the farm, mm. including volunteers and interns that have come to learn, including three full-time gardeners. We've got a cook. There's 15 farmers around the village that we have partnered with to help them restore the fertility in their soil, try to mm. develop a business model together where... The assumption is that together we'll be stronger. So rather than working each of us on our fields, we're trying to put some of the efforts in common to produce the compost, the liquid amendments, to de develop a business model and market or produce together. So yeah, we're in that stage where things are growing very fast. We don't want to go too fast because I think we still need to follow nature's rhythm and nature's pace. But that's where we are now, and mm. lots of things. It took, it took a while for the project to kind of establish. Like a tree, you know, there's very little growth at the beginning. But once yeah. you've got a good rooting system in the soil, then you start to see growth in the branch, in the fruits, and that's where we are now. We've got very strong roots, and we're starting to fruit in the in the community around. Yeah, I mean, it's quite impressive what you've built over there. I mean, I was there to see it myself, like... Uh, the, the dry part of the land that you showed me, which was like how it was when you first bought the land and then how much you've done it to the land, like to regenerate the soil and then so, so much fertility that has been created because of it. Like all the vegetables, I got to also taste the organic vegetables that grew from your garden. It was just uh, impressive what you've done with the land over there with your family and with the whole community you that you attracted there. And I'm really curious to hear about more about what kind of inspired someone like you and your wife to decide to leave your life behind in France and purchase a dry land all the way in Thailand and commit to this kind of lifestyle? Uh, uh, there's many ways to answer that, but really, to be fully honest, the first thing was dissatisfaction. Uh, she least didn't like her life. I didn't like my life. And the funny story is we're both working for this. We didn't know each other at the time, but we were both both working for the same company, LVMH, so that big luxury group in France, you know, generating billions of euros and really big structure. And we have similar path that we were making great money. We had great careers in front of us, but the body and the soul was drying. At least for me, I can't talk for her, but for me, I was like physically, I was starting to get sick. I had a, a big moment of realization uh, seeing myself in the mirror someday, and I'll never forget that because it really triggered in me a survival mechanism where I saw my face and I couldn't remember when the last time was that I'd seen myself smiling. And it took me a while in front of the mirror to even try to get a, a decent, genuine smile at myself. And... Uh, I still remember the pain of that moment. Like I knew something was wrong at that moment. Uh, so after that, it was two, three years, very painful because I knew I was in that job. I knew I was still in business school. I couldn't buy my way out yet, but I knew I couldn't stay. So it was two, three years of, okay, I got to get out. So saving all the money I could, uh, trying to keep something alive in me, that I tattooed on my arm, do not forget to leave because I was so afraid that I would get caught up in that system, you know, out of money or blah, 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 that was like I tattooed that on my arm so that I wouldn't forget that came from a dream. And after how did we get out? For me, it was I had no idea what to do outside of what I was offered. So it was just I went to get lost. I bought a plane ticket, and I left for India with my best friend. I knew I had enough budget to travel for about a year. I knew I wanted to see Southeast Asia, Vietnam, where I had some roots, Thailand, Japan, China. So we just got lost. We just got on the road, got lost to see what would find us if we were lost and, and some amazing experience. I mean, that's when you don't have, you know, when you don't know where you're going, something's going to attract you, like, because we were so wide open to anything that the assumption was something the most relevant to us will present itself. And that's what happened. 
um, volunteering in some projects about uh, was doing mangrove restoration at the time in southern Thailand, the place that was badly hit by the tsunami. So they were fixing the coast and the communities planting mangrove. And from volunteer work to another volunteer work, I just discovered this lifestyle. It was not about skis anymore. It was really about the lifestyle that happens around this. And there was a whole story going on. Thousands of people that were living and making that story true, you know, of living close to the land, of building community. And they had nothing to do with business and finance. And and there was so much life, genuine life and enthusiasm. There was a lot of difficulty, but there was so much to do. And the story they were living that I discovered was so beautiful that there was I knew there was no way back. So after a year traveling, I kind of just went back to France, sold my stuff. I found an English teaching job in Thailand. That was just the opportunity. I came here and then it unfolded from that job. I was offered to take over a restaurant south of Thailand. Uh, so I became a chef and a manager. That place offered me new opportunities, new volunteering. And then there wasn't, there was never really a plan. Just, just the, mm. the feeling inside that by staying open, the universe would present the right opportunities in time. And it felt good to be living not only out of rational thinking and having a plan, but being intuitively open to to what the universe offers in terms of opportunity. I think that was for me, the, at least for me, the biggest lesson of engaging with nature at a deep level was that, that realization that intuition is a, is a good guide. It's, there's not only rational thinking, you know, like we're brought up to, to be in the West. Mm. Yeah. That's a beautiful lesson that I just wanted to emphasize that when you thought you're lost in life, you need to get more lost in order to be able to receive what life has yeah. to offer for you. Because I think that is one thing that a lot of us just, we don't have that, like the space to really tap into intuition and the mystery of nature anymore because yeah. we're so busy getting caught in the business of life, getting from one thing to the next without actually questioning and pausing, like what really does nature and life want for me? And that's what you did. You kind of just, uh, you felt you were not living and then you decided to get really lost and have no plans and really extending your arms and allowing life to kind of channel its magic through you and yeah. jumping from one opportunity to the next. And I love that your openness to life, which I think a lot of us are not kind of tapped into right now because of a lot of the distraction and a lot of the things this modern life has been kind of uh, occupying our mind with and our heart with, like our heart was no longer open. And for you, you allowed your heart to really fully open to receive from life. So that's a beautiful lesson that you just shared with us. Thank you. I, I think, you, I think you, you said it just the right way you know the, the the heart is closed and the mind takes so much place we're thinking our way through life so much that we forget how to feel about it and and the, the mind is great but then creates this idea of me isolated from the rest and how powerful can we be when we're on our own and how mm. uh, only very little you know, how weak are we when when we're separated but how strong are we when we're connected to the rest of life like you know, if we, if we truly believe that we're connected to life, then life can become an ally and serve us as a guide. Like, we can use that as a guide. That when me, the, the Damien me is lost, then, okay, there's another part of me, like what I call the ecological self. You know, the, the, mm. the part of our identity that is connected to the, to the whole. And there's so much resource to be taken from that. Uh, I, it wasn't conscious when, you know, when I did this, when I told you this story, when I lived that story, I told you, but I think that's what happened. If I look back now, that's what happened. Like I allowed to put pause on the rational part of the brain. And that actually mm -hmm. left a lot of room for the, for the, for the heart to feel my way through. And, um, yeah, especially in the West, we're way mm -hmm. too much in our head and that disconnects us from from the other part of ourselves i'm grateful for asia because that's what asia told me about that i had no idea growing up in france i had no idea never heard about that 
and then traveling in you know Thailand, India, that kind of became obvious that this is how people live. And thank you, thank you so much for the lesson. <laughs> yeah, beautiful lesson. Uh, and what led you from there to then finding Liz and then deciding and committing to this as your life, not just like a, a few years of traveling, but this is a way of being and living for you. So um, I had two years in Thailand when I was uh, managing the restaurant. It was on a really re very remote island. There was no electricity. It was before all the phone things and smartphone connections. So kind of gave me a break for two years of not being connected at all to anything. So it was deep dive inside myself. So when I came out of that, I knew that my soul work would have to do with engaging with nature and recreating this kind of path of regeneration. I was very clear. I didn't know how to do it, but I, I was very clear that I had to be some kind of an ambassador so that men and nature would start having this dialogue again. And then I went back to France for the first time in a few years because my dad and my my dad was getting married, remarried. My brother was getting married, and I had a shit time. Like I couldn't find a job that was satisfying. I was just too disconnected from life in France. And so I pulled out my deck of cards and I pulled the card. I pulled two cards. One of said said mountain. The other one said protection, and it was the picture of a pregnant woman meditating. So I followed the advice. I went hiking in the Alps for a few weeks. Instead, I stopped looking for a job. I went hiking in the Alps. I ended up in this really remote village slash farm where a bunch of people were raising goats, doing their veggie garden. And that's where I met Liz. <laughs> and she was exactly at the same point in her life. She'd been traveling for a while. She, was, she had quit her job and she was volunteering to learn about this lifestyle. So we fell in love, then we came back to Thailand to do volunteering in Thailand together. And I guess it's going from volunteering experience to volunteering experience really drew a precise picture of what life could look like um, if we devoted ourselves to that. We just met enough people that were leaving it to, that it wasn't a dream anymore. It was a reality that we had to build and we kind of gained some skills on how to do it. And then we didn't know where to start, but we had to start somewhere. So we did. Started our own garden, started to do things, started to teach and to learn. And uh, and again, we always believed in it. We never let the mainstream society, parents and friends tell us otherwise. And uh, so for a few years, we were commuting. We were doing season, uh, touristic season in France to earn some money and then coming to Thailand to build the dream. And then uh, COVID saved us. We couldn't go back to France anymore. We lost our jobs. We lost our business. So there was no, there was no, you know, no option anymore. We were here. Luckily, we had just built a house at the farm. So it's like build the house, start the farm. Then COVID happened. You have to stay in your farm for two or three years. So it was an opportunity. I mean, it was scary because we lost so much. But in a way, it was also an opportunity to put all of our energy into what we had wanted to do forever. Uh, maybe we would have been cold, we would have had cold feet if COVID hadn't happened. But there you go, you know, uh, the divine cosmic timing of... Uh, yeah. It was... Uh, Nature has led you to the right place again one more time. Yeah. Even meeting Liz, I felt like that was such a divine timing, meeting someone at such a perfect, like the right stage in her life to be doing this with you. Because I think that's, I feel like the challenge is like for a life partner, like you have to be at the right place at the right time in order to be able to commit to a lifestyle like yours, you know, because not it's everyone's cup of tea to like live your country, to live the other side of the world and then, and then have this kind of life that is like so different from the modern life that you both were used to yeah. um and kind of pushed each other you know because i know she she's as passionate as i am so when she told me that was her dream i was pushing her and when she was my dream she pushed me so i don't know if any of us single-handedly would have gone as far but because we were together that it created this magic of you know su really supporting it supporting and pushing each other and yeah, divine timing on meeting each other for sure. 
<laughs> yeah. And and something that you mentioned before um, about, you know, building everything with your, almost like by your, your own hands. And I feel like that is something that a lot of people in the, in, in cities and the modern life have lost touch with. Like I could speak to myself, like how, I was so used to delivery service and like getting everything serviced and done for me. Like when I went to Burning Man in 2019, like I didn't have that like confidence in my own skills and my body and my hands to even like fix my bikes and build tents. And then right after the whole week, I, I felt like, wow, like I felt this like level of confidence, like with my ability to like create things with my own hands that I've never had before. And it's, I felt like it's something really precious that this that a lot of people have lost today like yeah. just our ability and our confidence is in creating things uh, and not having to rely on services and i think this is something about being sovereign as well it's just having that independence like growing your own food building your own furniture building your own house so i i love that you kind of went on this path to to kind of restore that uh, natural ability that we've had that we've lost so I'm, I'd love for you to kind of speak a little bit about your relationship to this because you went on this journey to, in, in the beginning, like, you know, to find yourself because you've lost yourself, to find happiness again. And then you develop this, like, big passion for environment and re going back to nature. Like, how was that uh, journey was like for you? Uh, it's funny you mentioned building stuff with your hands because when I was, so wait, 20... By the age 23, 24, I don't think I ever used a hammer and a nail before. And I remember being, you know, moving on that tropical island where I was taking over the restaurant. It was super wide, man. There was really a small bamboo shack to sleep. And I had to fix stuff. And I was like, I've never, I've never used a hammer and a nail. So I was like a baby being reborn. I like, got to learn how to do this stuff. I was living with Burmese and I was seeing how skillful they were with everything they could go in the forest and come back with dinner or they would go with the boat and catch some fish. They could just cut down bamboo and make a shack for the night or fix the house. And there I am, like smart, smart boy, 24. It's never, you know, big uh, diploma from a business school. Can't fucking fix, a, can't, can't, sorry, can't, can't, can't put a nail in a piece of wood, you know? So I felt really stupid and a baby. So I knew I had some catching up to do, so... I did a lot of that. I just went like, you know what? So I went to the Burmese and said, like, teach me, use me. I, I just need to learn. Like, I'm a baby. So I went back to being a toddler and a student and learning all these skills. And uh, and then when I met those people in Northern Thailand in some self-reliant center, and I saw how much of the fundamental needs they were able to answer, I think that for me, that was a triggering point, like, there's one basic question I never ask myself. What are the fundamental needs in your life? You know, how come we become adults and never question, never, never answer that question? Fundamental needs are the same for everyone. You know, having shelter, growing your food, building connection, uh, meaningful connection, having medicine. Those are the stuff of life. And the fact that I never ask myself if I could do anything about that. And when I discovered we could, it was, it was, uh, you know, it was like again being reborn into a new, a, a new game of life. Why it doesn't actually take forty years of your life to pay back money to a bank to have a roof over your head? You can do that in one year, not borrowing money to anyone. You can actually grow your food and maybe not a hundred percent of your food, but you can grow a decent amount of your food and keep yourself healthy like that. You can actually organize your life around sharing your passion. And your, your work doesn't have to be for someone else, a company that you've never met the boss. And you can actually identify your passions and make that the core stuff of your life. Indeed, I never even thought about this by the time I was 25, 26. So meeting people who had done that was super challenging and, and super inspiring. Um, can't remember what your question was and how I went down this road. But yeah, the, the doing stuff for yourself. Yeah. Job, how come our jobs are so disconnected from what we want for ourselves and what we want for the world? How come we we never ask during education to bridge these two? 
you know, what do we want for ourselves? What do we want for the world? And what does the world need from us? That should be at some point in our education, that should be a central question with which we sit long enough that we come up with some kind, maybe not a definite answer, but at least a methodology to, to explore this. And I'm super grateful that somehow life gave me the opportunity to think about that for long enough. And it's made a, it's made a radical change. Because then the question of creativity was what can I create around my passions and what I want to see happen in the world so that I can feel empowered to do that. You know, I've always wanted to see nature and men live closer together. I've always wanted mainstream industry or like the, you know, the destroying in the side of industry and economics to, to, to become obsolete so that we could have a something that be more regenerative for people, societies and the planet. Well, suddenly because I, I, I felt I, were, I could be creative to, to, to do something about it. And it wasn't out of a textbook. It wasn't out of a uh, employment forum or something. It was, no, be creative. What do you want to see happen and how can you make that work? And that's mm. it's been the most fascinating journey because, of course, you have to, like, we had to balance that with mainstream society and creating an interface but it's being on the edge. We're on the edge of mainstream society because it's still the rules of economics, but we're also on the edge of tomorrow because we're allowing tomorrow to grow today and to happen today already. And it's the most fascinating thing in life to, to, to be doing that because I know what I'm doing, no one else can do because no one else was brought into this world to do what I do. I know it's my, like it's so deeply personal. And I really wish everybody had that sense of that's what I call soul work. You know, this we all have something that life has brought us in with very specific reason, a specific job. It's your personal skill, you, Edric. You have a specific set of skills that no one else has skills mm -hmm. and experience and life journey. And that, what does that tell about you? And I think that's where creativity happens when we can mm -hmm. tap into that uniqueness somehow. Beautifully saying. And speaking of our about soul work, your soul purpose and work is around soil regeneration and education, educating people around this topic. I'm curious, how do you get into this space? How do you discover, like you mentioned, like that nature, the reconnection to nature is the key to fix a lot of the problems that we see in the world today? How do you get to discover that for yourself? And how do you be, make that your life mission today? Um, a lot of, a lot of the understanding came from really seeing how nature works. And that was two years of very deep immersion in close to the wilderness and doing a lot of rituals and kind of sort of shamanic rituals, uh, to really try to see life from life's perspective, not only from human's perspective. And when I saw that, I realized that, you know, the we always talk about fixing nature, but it's not about fixing nature. It's not something we have to do. Like nature is sustainable. Sustainability is not something that we humans have to invent and create. Sustainability is the result of 4 billion years of evolution of life. So it's embedded everywhere around us. What we can do is get, a, get out of the way of that uh, so that we stop destroying. And... And seeing when you look at how nature works, there's so much abundance, balance, sustainability that... And then you look at human society and there's wars and unemployment and hatred and all of this stuff. Like, why do we have this? Like, you think if we were to... So I've always found that natural systems were much more efficient than human systems. So I think I've had this obsession for a long time that if we could just get inspired from that... What, how would, could we create human societies and human lifestyle that would, that would benefit from all that? There's no reason why there should be so many people uh, hungry on the planet or jobless or committing suicide or not when, there's, not when nature can create so much abundance. Um, so I think when I realized that, I've been wanting to restore that, those natural cycles everywhere where they've been damaged. 
and it's true of natural ecosystems and it's true of human ecosystems. You know, I got interested in coaching for a while because I thought it was participating of the same, same movement. We get like, we get mental about things and a lot of things don't, don't work in our lives. How, how do we fix what's not working? How do we, can we have an idea of what we want and slowly make our, like build a system to work towards that? Uh, obviously, I was more, I think, intimate, more comfortable working with nature than humans. <laughs> so I went back to ecosystem regeneration. And it made me hopeful also, you know, to study with people like uh, Bill Marlison or John DeLeo, um, I, I, Alan Savory. Those people, when you look at what they do in terms of restoring natural ecosystems, it, for me, it made me hopeful. And um, I think that's probably why I decided to go that route also, because nothing made me feel so good. I've been anxious about what we were doing to the planet for so long that when I discovered these people's work, um, I was like, no, we can actually do something. Uh, the, the, we, we can, and when we fix natural ecosystems, we fix a lot of problems downstream from that also. Uh, in society, psychological problems, spiritual problems. Mm. Can you go deeper into that? Like how 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 is our how is our deepening to our connection to nature could fix a lot of social economic problems we see in the world today? Um, where do I take this? Let, let, let's go back to redefining ecology because that will inform a lot of the answer later. For most people, ecology literally means the wisdom of habitats. The problem is most people think of ecology as being the house, right? The planet, but the house, in term, the house, the walls of the house. But ecology, it's not the house, it's the home. Do you see the difference between a house and home? The house is a material thing outside of us. The home we're part of. So thinking of ecology as the wisdom of how we inhabit the planet is um, tells a lot about about the, the the human story. You know, we've taken ourselves outside of the equation for so long that we forgot that we humans are actually part of this of this ecology. It's not humans versus nature or human versus ecology, and we're not the cause of the problem more than we are the 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 solution of the problem. It's you could even argue like this guy, what's his name? Daniel Quinn, Ishmael, the book, where he argues that human history starts with a disconnection from nature. You know, there's two and a half million years of co-evolution of human within nature. And then we come up with the agricultural revolution technology. We disconnect ourselves from nature. Suddenly, 11,000 years ago, we build a mindset and a story where humans control, must control nature or entitled to dominate nature. And, and from that is history. Prior to this, we have prehistory. After this revolution, the Neolithic revolution, we have history. So we could argue that the whole of human civilization over the last 10,000 years was built on this false idea that humans are disconnected and superior to nature. That's when we started to have massive land degradation. That's when we started to have ecocide. And that's when we start to build cities to protect ourselves, to disconnect ourselves from the rest. And so suddenly the laws of nature don't apply to us anymore. And look at what's happening today. People, we can't even consider ourselves as being part of this. So my argument is that if we were to heal that relationship that has been wounded, you know, the connection between humans and nature, which started so long ago, but it's been, it's been an ongoing journey of disconnection. Um, you know, the Middle Age, we burnt on the stake all the shamans or the sorceress or the, the druids that still had that connection. The Christian church burnt all of them. So it's been, it's been a very severe trauma that we imposed on our psyche. So if that is one of the root causes of our psychosocial dilemmas today and ecological problems too. 
then I believe that recreating that connection to nature can be part of the solution. I think if we were to to share what like the pain of a tree when you cut it down, we wouldn't cut them like we do today. If we were sensitive enough to the suffering of animals as brothers and sisters, we wouldn't park them and slaughter them like we do today. If we could hear and feel how a soil hurts when it's damaged, we wouldn't till and do the kind of agriculture we do today. And I don't think that we can be mentally sane as long as we stay disconnected from nature like that. We were never meant to be disconnected. You know, take your arm and take it out of your body. Is it going to be healthy and happy? No, I don't think so. Your arm is meant to be connected to your body in the same way that we are meant to be connected to the great community of life on Earth. Mm. And as, unless we recreate this connection, I think we, we're not going to be able to even think of the right solutions. Mm-mm. And how have you seen... How do you think we could recreate, re-strengthen our connection to nature? And another example I'd love to, for you to give is, um, I think what causes this disconnection between a lot of people and nature is because they can't see how, you know, unfortunately we as humans are bad at like foreseeing and 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 ha- looking ahead of like what is the consequences of our action by impacting by damaging nature and if you look at the whole vegan movement and there's so many documentaries that have been made around veganism and the one documentary that really took off was um oh, i forget the name it's about the athlete and uh how the diet is impacting your health yeah. uh, and what it was telling me is why that documentary works so well is because that was it was showing the audience immediately how the diet was impacting their health versus the rest of the documentaries we're talking about environment and animals as much as we, I would love to see people have a level of awareness. Unfortunately, I think we're, a lot of people are not at that level of consciousness yet. So I'd love for you to kind of tell an example of like how, how by not having this intimacy with nature is impacting our day-to-day lives. I love the example you gave to me when we were there about how, the uh how it's impacting the health because we're not paying premium for uh organic food and so this is like a very close to the day-to-day uh scenarios and examples that people could feel like oh yes this is what's happening to me because i am so disconnected to nature um so your question is about okay can you repeat the question please i'm not sure i understand the exact yes yeah, so the question is can you maybe get into the more socioeconomic angle of how our disconnection with nature is impacting our day-to-day lives okay uh well there's well there's a there's a lot of aspect i mean you could take it from an economic perspective you could take it from a health perspective could take it from a spiritual perspective i think different people will resonate with different parts of that big question but the economics let's say the economics uh, how much does restoring the ecosystem how how do we value the services that a proper ecology gives us that we lose when we destroy it water filtration oxygen food that biodiversity if we were to look at this like this impacts us because we're going to have to pay for it either we lose the benefits of having clean air clean water and fresh food, or we have to pay to restore it. So economically, it's going to be a cost for all of us. Health, um, you know, we, we are just starting to understand how food production works. But what we know is that when you have a healthy soil with a proper food, uh, web of life inside, including all the microorganisms you need, that allows plants to absorb nutrients. When you eat these nutrients, you take them in your body. So what happens when you grow food in a soil that's dead because of of modern agriculture? You only get three out of 26 nutrients and probably not even enough of that. So what does it do to your body? We are so low on nutrients. We've never eaten so much. We've never had so little nutrients in our bodies. And that's being proved by doctors like Dr. Elaine Ingham that she's proved that the food we eat is so deprived of nutrients that this 
on its own is probably the cause of a lot of the disease today, cancer and all of that, because we're malnourished, even though we, we eat so much. Mm. Take it from a psychological perspective. How does it do? Uh, you can take people to, that's what's something I used to do a lot with my clients in coaching, just to redefine that sense of self, you know, because we get all these psychological traumas and pains from being disconnected. Um, and I was taking them through the different circles of belongings, for example. You know, you belong to your family. What? How do you benefit from uh, being part of your family? How do you contribute to that family? You know, what do you do for them? And then you're part of a society or a community. How do you benefit from that? How do you contribute? And then go all the way to the big web of life. So you're a, you're a living person on this planet. How do you benefit from that? Well, you breathe, you drink, you eat, you go on hikes around. You do, and what do you do to to contribute to that? And if we don't, do, if none of us do anything to to contribute to that web of life, then we're going to lose all the benefits. Um, simple as that, you know. We, we there's so much we take for granted. Like breathing, you know, I live in Pai. You've seen Pai two months ago. It was pristine. Well, now we, we're living through one of the worst ecological crises on the planet every year from uh, February until March, April, because they burn so much of the forest around that it becomes a health hazard even to breathe. And when you live in a place where breathing makes you sick, well, there's a lot of stuff you stop taking for granted. We got to do something could to contribute to the to the health of the forest. Because even breathing properly and being healthy from breathing is not a given anymore because we you know we damage the ecosystem so much. So there's no there's literally no difference between the health of the planet and the ecosystems in which we live and our own health. And it goes the same of society as a, as a social body. An economy that has destroyed all the natural resources. I mean, you know, there's only one sort of economy on the planet. It's that of natural resources. The rest is a BS. It's a layer of makeup on, on top of the rest. And it's, uh, it's not real. The only economy is that of natural resources. If we keep extracting without producing, we know where that leads. That leads to a rarification of those resources and a collapse of civilization. It's happened before in the past. It's happened times and times and times. Uh, if some of your the listeners are interested, I suggest listening to da um, Dr. David Montgomery. He's written a book called Soil uh, Dirt, The Erosion of Civilization. And it's a proper study of how through lack of management of the natural resources, civilizations have been collapsing for thousands of years. And... Uh, so social health, ecological health is the same. Individual health and social health is very, very connected also. Yeah, you know, I think there was one number that struck me when I was writing this book was I was looking at death uh, by people committing suicide. And there's 10 times more people committing suicide in modern Western uh, countries than there are people dying of, war of warfare on the planet. That tells a lot, I think, about how damaged our societies are and how we suffer from that. The most disconnected uh, societies on the planet are creating the more suicide rate, and that's not even taking people doing burnouts and you know having depression. It's just the worst... Um, the worst cases that go all the way to killing themselves. Mm. And you're saying our disconnection to ourselves is linked to our disconnection to nature. I believe so because nature is not so, it's not only outside of us. It's, you know, nature speaks through us. We're talking about soul earlier. I, I like to define soul as being the voice of nature inside us. Nature brings all of us into life with a specific into a specific niche somehow. We're giving, we're brought in this specific, specific place for a specific reason. And that's nature, nature grew us for that reason. You know, nature grows trees in specific places for a purpose. Same thing for us. 
And if we don't tap into our inner nature, what I call the inner ecology of finding that soul, then how can we know what we're supposed to do in life? And when we don't know what we're supposed to do in life, that creates a lot of anxiety and depression and lack of meaning and of purpose. And that, I think, is due to disconnecting not from nature outside, but from our own inner nature, which somehow is it's the same. It's, you know, there's only one thing. Mm. Yeah, and I love this uh, definition of nature that is not just limited to plants and environment, but it's also no. our soul, our inner nature. Like, nature is so, like, expensive and so divine. It's not just limited to the, the, the greenery that we see outside no. of us. And it's a symptom of that disconnection with nature to think that it's just outside of us. We have such a hard time even realizing that we are it also. Exactly. And if yeah. we are it, then we the same rules apply to us. Exactly. And what I'm taking away from what you just shared is also that I love the the practice of the circle of belonging when like you extract it further and further and, and then we realize that how we're so eventually everything is so interconnected where everything is so interwoven and we're all like our action has consequences it has this ripple effect that eventually will affect our life or civilization or society and so what kind of mindset shift did you want consumers like listeners of this modern age to have and what do you think like like a daily actions or small actions that people can take today to 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 reconnect more with nature and, and to restore uh the damage that's been done uh today i think the the big uh mind shift is the the one we've been talking about the feeling that we contribute and not only benefit from things uh you know in the way you phrase your question what's the mind shifts for us as consumers let's stop thinking ourselves as consumers because consumers is when we take like maybe the mind mm. sheet should be about what do we give what do we produce mm. to, for the causes in for which we believe you know so once you've identified what you believe in then the next thing is what do you do for that cause um and it's not necessarily about ecological restoration that's my thing but you know everybody has a set of cause that they resonate with deep inside and that they know is the right thing for them to do. Well, what do you do for it? And spend enough time thinking with that question. I think anyone can come up with a few things that they can do daily to contribute to what's most important to them. You know, if it's social justice, buy a sandwich to someone that's hungry every day. Who doesn't have money to buy a sandwich for someone? Okay. If it's nature, Go plant a tree. Maybe you live in a city. Well, do a workshop in a farm. Contribute some of your time. What resources do you have that you can give to to contribute to, to what you believe in? And if we all did this, I think a lot of projects like mine wouldn't be struggling from lack of resources. Um, if everybody that believed in something was doing just one action every day, and maybe, maybe it's just, maybe most of the day is just sitting down with a strong intention and feeling grateful that some other people are doing this. Maybe that's enough for today. And maybe there's only a couple of weeks in your year during your holidays where you can physically do something. Maybe that's good enough. It's better, surely better than nothing than sitting around. You know, there's been psychological studies done in, at least in France and in uh, French speaking countries where they studied the level of eco-anxiety and compared that to the level of engagement. And there's a direct correlation. People who are practically engaged for the cause that they want to defend suffer much less from eco-anxiety because knowing that you do something, even if it's giving one hour of your week to an NGO, even if it's just, you know, giving a bit of money every month, $10, well, you know what? I see, I look at my organization. If I get 15 people, 20 people giving 10 euros or $10 every month, I can create a full-time position. Those people, the number of trees we can plant with one full-time worker here, the number of people we can feed in their local orphanage and stuff, it's massive. And we're talking about 20 people giving $10. So it's not, it's not the end of the world. Everybody has something they can do. 
And today with social media, we can easily follow what the organizations we support can do with our money. And to know we're part of the solution makes a big difference. Then we stop being only the one of the causes of the problem as consumers and as part of mainstream society. Not everyone can leave mainstream society. I completely understand that. But still being in there, there's also we can also be in the other on the other side by helping those who've managed to get out and are creating the the solutions and uh, creating the different narrative. I love that advice. I was expecting something related to environment. Oh, use less plastic or buy more organic products, which are all you know great advice. But I love that you put it in a way where like just shifting that mindset from just being consumer to a producer or like contributing to something that you believe in doesn't have to be environment related but something that you believe in that is anything that is impacting creating a positive impact like creating a world um in contributing to the world they want to live in be it like social justice or even like setting an intention and being grateful as long as you're not like creating this uh, damage to the world and you're actually reversing the damage or actually healing it like that itself is already making progress that is that itself is contributing to the world and i think i think it's going back to what you said earlier how everything is connected you know like by you um solving this cost today that might create the resources for you to be able to uh, restore the the ecosystem or something but everything is kind of like connected so like whatever that you do it doesn't ma- matter what it is like it is it will it will create resources and creating opportunities possibilities for everyone as this connected society and organism to move forward together to the future that we want to see yeah and it will make you feel better every day that's guaranteed also you know when you're part of something you're contributing every day to knowing that your values are alive in this world. And I think I don't think there's anything more meaningful than that. To know that thanks to your action today, the value you uphold most are alive in your life. So you see them, that makes you feel better. Like it's a direct impact on you. You know, when you're being generous, if you, if you think generosity is a high value, every time you're being generous, generosity is alive in your world. So, great you know you benefit from that directly so i'd say even if you want to be perfectly selfish do that because you're going to be the first beneficiary of that all right right. uh so damien we're coming to uh the end of the podcast and if there's one thing i know you already dropped a lot of gems to the listeners but there's like one thing to kind of wrap everything you just shared and for the listeners take away with uh what would that be be hopefully active or actively hopeful. Uh, you know, there's two ways to think of hope. The first one is, yeah, I hope that this will happen, but I will only do something about it if it has any chance to happen. Uh, the second, that's passive hope, you know. We, we're putting all our power into somebody else's hands. Active hope has nothing to do with that. It has to be with desire. What do I want to see happen in the world? And do something about it. And as, as soon as you start doing something about it, it comes to life. You benefit from it. The world benefits from it. And I think that's what we most need is not to wait for things to happen to be part of them, but to take the responsibility to trigger them into, into happening today. Um, yeah, I think, I I think that. that's, uh, that's my, my takeaway for today, active hope. I love it. I've never heard that term active hope, but uh, I'm going to quote you a lot from now and be actively hopeful, not just passively hopeful. Joanna um, Macy. I took that from Joanna Macy's work. Uh, I think she has a book called Active Hope. It is a beautifully um, inspiring and empowering book to read. Um, active Hope, yeah. Highly suggested to anyone. Beautiful. I will uh, drop the the link to that book in the description. And if uh, people were to want to support you and uh, support Pisceling Foundations, how could that do so? Uh, Well, one of the ways would be to come see what we do. We have workshops, we have training programs. Now we have the farm stay. So that brings resources to our project and allow us to do more. The next big project we want to do is to give people the opportunity to experience the lifestyle for longer than a few hours or a couple of days. 
Um, so we want to open a retreat center by next year. Uh, that week requires a bit of investment. So sending out donation would allow us to, to generate enough income at the beginning to build the structure so that we could host people for long experience. And I can tell you the, the, the change happens when you, not only when, when you can think about it in your mind, but when you experience it in your body. And it's something we've experienced over and over again here. And that's, I think, how we want to touch more people now. Having people for a two or three weeks retreat at the farm, even one week, we don't leave the farm. You do gardening every day. You eat only what we harvest from the garden every day. You go at the pace of nature, no electricity, no motorbikes, no crazy things. And that's the kind of transformative experience we want to, to provide. So we're going to be raising, we're going to start raising money for that soon. So any support on that would be really more than welcome. Um, or contribute by visiting and taking part in our projects. I mean, that's all, that's also really good. Absolutely. I'll make sure to leave um, the links uh, to Pi Sailing Foundation in the description of this podcast. And yeah, guys, go visit Pi Sailing Foundation in Pai, Thailand. It's this beautiful, beautiful land. Uh, Damien and Liz are just like beautiful human beings as well. And I could testify to the magic of just like have that restoration, uh, the reconnection to nature and just feeling that rejuvenation again and like being able to plant uh, vegetables with your own hands, like eating uh, freshly harvested vegetables. It was just like just a beautiful feeling and, and just really soul rejuvenating. So make sure to check Pie Ceilings Foundation. And thank you so much, Damien, for being on the show. Thank you for inspiring all of us. And I'll see you guys around in the next episode. Thank you, Adric. Bye.